John chapter 5, verse 1, and I'm going to ask you to join me in this marathon. Uh, this is a passage that is 47 verses, but frankly, folks, there's no good place to break it down and lo without losing the full power of the passage, and it is very instructive to us. It is also very uh, straight-from-the-shoulder statement of what our Lord Jesus endured, but also teaches us that we can expect to endure in this hostile environment. And it begins with a miracle. There are three miracles, there are seven miracles in John's Gospel other than the resurrection of Christ. There's seven miracles that are all in the chapters one, chapters 1 through 12 is the evangelism part of John's gospel. Chapters 13 through 17 is the discipleship part. But you have seven of all the thousands of miracles that Jesus did, John picks seven, lays them out in detail, and why would John limit himself to seven? I think it's because seven is enough personal opinion, okay? Seven is enough. <coughs> if these seven aren't enough, 77 wouldn't be enough. 777 wouldn't be enough. Proof is proof is proof is proof. And the Holy Spirit through John's pen is putting the proof out. What is shocking when you read through John's gospel and all the other gospels as well is the lack of positive response there is very much positive response, but it's very shallow. A whole lot of it is very shallow. A deep response to what Jesus does, does in his signs, his miracles. A deep response that has an, a lifetime of, re, of impact is rare. But an impact that can have an immediate positive that then just kind of goes away or opposition. And what we find here in John chapter 5 is stunning. John 5, 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jesus had been in Galilee. He goes up to Jerusalem. Whenever you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up. Whenever you're leaving Jerusalem, you're going down. That was just the Jewish mindset. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. 
But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. <coughs> Excuse me. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not re- but the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only (coughs) broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus answered, And said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, 
and my judgment is righteous. I judge, and my, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true or authentic. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he was, has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself, who sent me, has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not, but you do not have his word abiding in you. Because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive honor from man. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe or receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall, do, that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Ladies and gentlemen, as we read this passage, frankly, it's shocking. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. Here is a man by the pool of Bethesda. All these infirm people, blind people, all these people surrounding this pool, hoping apparently on occasion an angel came down, and based on the text, I would say it was authentic, would stir up the waters, and whoever got in those waters first was healed. And there were five porches there. There were a lot of people there waiting for that opportunity. But I would dare say there are also a lot of tin cups there. As people, this is how you survive. Just like the next, the sixth miracle that Jesus will do will be healing the man born blind, the young man born blind who's sitting at the side of the, of the road in Jerusalem with a tin cup. Jesus comes there and says to a man who has been infirm for 38 years, asks him a simple question, do you want to be healed? Yes, no. He doesn't answer yes. Well, whenever the waters are stirred up, 
Somebody always somehow manages to beat me to the water for 38 years. I've never been able to get. Now, we don't know that he was there for the entire 38. It may have been the, the plaque that he was holding up so people would put money in his, in his drink cup. We don't know. But John knows 38 years. And someone always beats me. Someone always beats me. Someone always beats me. And this guy doesn't know he asked him the question. And Jesus does a sovereign miracle. This is not a miracle responding to this man's faith. The man doesn't know who's talking to him. Jesus simply says, rise, take up your bed. And go. And suddenly the man is completely healed of a 38-year-long infirmity. And he does what Jesus said. He takes up the bed and rolls it up, that cot, and starts walking out. Oh, horror of horrors. It's the Sabbath day. You are to do no work on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leadership. Oh, look at you. You're breaking the Sabbath. Pay attention to what the man says to them. He who, he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. He who made me well, he who did a divine work. I would dare say every one of those Jewish leaders, and when it says the Jews, it's the Jewish leaders, those who are running the temple compound. He who said to me, take up your bed and walk. Folks, that's called a miracle. They have seen this fellow to be healed. He's a fixture there by the pool of Bethesda. Notice what he says. He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you? Be healed. No, that's not what they say. Stop. A miracle happened. An outrageous act of God healing a man 38 years in his infirmity. These are the Jewish religious leaders, those in charge of the temple compound. Are they interested in what God is doing? No. They, no. The man just testified. A no-holds-barred miracle. Act of God just occurred. They don't even ask about it. Who was the man who said, take up your bed and walk? Not who's the man that God used to do this miracle. No. Who's the man that broke our little law? And he says, I don't know. The one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Jesus just stepped back into the crowd after the healing. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, stop for a moment. He's in the temple. That man, the, the precinct there, the pool of Bethesda, that's not in the temple. People who had infirmities, who had debilitation, weren't allowed in the temple. Now, probably for the first time in his life, this man is walked into the temple. 
and he, Jesus finds him there. And Jesus says to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Okay, don't sin, good advice. By the way, whether this implies that his original infirmity had to do with a sinful activity, we don't know, but Jesus simply says, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. He turns Jesus in to the temple authorities. And the man leaves the meeting, does the last thing. And what does he do? He goes to the enemies of Jesus and turns Jesus into What does that say to you about why did he not answer Jesus' yes-no question with a yes, I want to be healed? Probably because he doesn't. He's been using that infirmity to as the source of his income. I don't think that's a wild supposition. And he turns Jesus in to the Jewish leadership for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, there's no some versions that leave out the sought to kill him. I won't go into that. It just belongs there. Ask me about it afterwards. They, and sought to kill him, and in verse 18, it repeats that statement. Uh, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. How dare you, Jesus, heal a man on the Sabbath? That's a work. Healing people is a work. You're violating the Sabbath. And not only that, you told the man to take up his, roll up his cot and walk. That's, and of course we know from other contexts where it's the same kind of conflict where Jesus just rebukes them and rebukes them and rebukes them over this Sabbath issue. Jesus says in another passage, for example, well, you know, when David was fleeing from Saul and he and his band of men, they went to the tabernacle. And what did the high priest do? The high priest took the showbread, which was only to be for the priests, and he gave it to David and his men. And every single Sabbath, there are priestly responsibilities that have to be carried out in the temp tabernacle and later the temple. God built the breaking of the Sabbath law into the law. You couldn't keep the whole law without breaking the Sabbath law. And Jesus points that out. And, but they don't want to get that. Why? Because that's their club that they use to beat other people into submission to them, is enforcing the Sabbath law. And so, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now this divine act of healing. My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Yes, this was a miracle I did 
in imitation of the works of my Father. And by the way, in the Hebrew Scriptures, God tells them, you may call me Jewish people, you may call me your Father. I fathered you, Deuteronomy 32. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. And the word translated there is a word that means in a unique sense. He is his father in a unique sense. He, is, he was his father making himself equal with God. They were perfectly right. They got Jesus' words exactly right. I am doing these things in imitation of my Father. My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. And they, you're making yourself out to be God. And what does Jesus Yeah, you got that right. Yep, yep, yes. The Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, yeah, you got it right. Yeah, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. He is declaring himself to be the son of God in a unique sense. We all, every single person who has transferred their trust from their own works to the work of Jesus Christ, are redeemed, we are redeemed by that, and we are called, in the New Testament, sons. We're called sons. By the way, whether you're, new, as Paul says in Galatians, male, female, slave-free, Jew, Gentile, if you come to faith in Christ, we are all sons of God through faith in Christ. And I've, I know I've said this before, let me repeat it. In the Roman Greek world, if you were an heir of someone's estate, even if you were a female, legally speaking, you were called a son. You went down and the standard operating procedure, this is actually pretty smart, on the part of the wealthier Greeks and Romans was, when your legal wife would have a child, male, female, if she has a child, that's not legally your child. Even if she's your legal wife and she's, and that's your child, it's not your child. Not legally. And so the standard thing those Greeks and Romans would do is they would have their smart slave, the guy who is the one who is the head of the estate, who runs it on a day-to-day -day basis, and he would say, okay, I want you to train my child, son or daughter, I want you to change this child, I want you to train this child so that when they become an adult, they will be able to handle the reality of the state and not be a knucklehead that fiddles everything around. And around the age of 12, 13, 14, when the slave felt, okay, I got this done. This is a mature, level-headed, trained young person. You take them to daddy and daddy quizzes them. And if daddy is satisfied that this child has passed the quiz, is able, has the maturity and the outlook to be able to 
not further away the estate, he would take that child down to what their equivalent of local courthouse was and adopt that child as a son, male, female, didn't matter. The term was son, meaning heir of the estate. We are all sons of God, heirs of the estate through faith in Christ. But Jesus is a son in a unique sense. He is actually the replication. He is, he could say to his apostles, he does and does us, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Folks, I hope you're never going to hear those words out of my, my mouth. I know I am a less than perfect picture of God. Jesus was a perfect, 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 perfect representation of the Father. There was no difference between them as to what they could do and what they did do and what their outlook was. Therefore, the Jews, verse 18, sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Yeah, you got that right. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of of himself but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he, the Father, does, the Son also does in like manner. I do it, and I do it exactly the same way. Now, folks, I'm not an artist. If Leonardo da Vinci were to walk in this room, uh, a resurrected Leonardo, and paint a painting right in front of us and do all this, I can tell you right now, I wouldn't be able to forget it. I wouldn't be able to do it nearly. I, I mean, forget it. I mean, it would be a wrap. It's not wrapped. Not quite as beautiful. Not quite as beautiful. What was the first miracle that he did, by the way, in John's gospel? First miracle that he did, period, John says, he turned water into wine. That is a creation miracle. Wine, as a product, requires time. It requires age. But in the same way that the speaker God, God the Son, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made, he didn't create little seeds. That ultimately became, no, he created forests. He created a creation that had the appearance of age. That wine brought to the, the man who's governing the marriage feast, he tastes that, oh, this is the best wine. What in the world is going on here? This is the best stuff. That wine had the appearance of age, although it was just a minutes between it being having been water, and now it's being brought to this man who says, this is the most splendid one I've ever had, basically. This is good stuff. My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he had not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he, the father, does, the son does also in like manner. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Even more things. By the way, this is a very interesting statement. The Father is showing the Son. The Father is, wait a minute, isn't this eternal God the Father, eternal God the Son, eternal God the Holy Spirit? Well, we're told something, and this is especially emphasized in Luke's gospel. When God the Son became fully a human being, he laid aside his omniscience, his all-knowledge, his omnipotence, his all-power, the independent use of it, and his omnipresence, his everywhere presence. He localized himself to a human body. He laid aside the independent use of his omnipotence. He had relied upon the providing the provision of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But he also went through the learning process. We're told in Luke's that he grew. He, Jesus, this is after the, when he's 12 years old, the temple incident, when he goes home with his father, and Mary and Joseph are like, what's going on? What's going on? And it says he grew in knowledge and in stature. Jesus, God the Son, when he became a human being, he put himself through the same learning process that we go through. Of course, he was the star pupil. But the Father, even in, in this passage, he's saying the Father is still showing me, still showing me. And when he shows me something, I am perfect in my replication of what he does. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he, the Father does, the Son does also in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. He has been training me. <coughs> and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. This man's healing, the seventh of the seven miracles in John's Gospel, is the resurrection of Lazarus, which was something they couldn't deny because Lazarus was known to everyone in the Jewish leadership. They all knew him. They were personal friends or acquaintances of Lazarus, and he was four days in the tomb. And when we get to that passage, I repeat this. In the Jewish mind, I don't know where they got this. They had the idea that a human spirit, a person having died, that that spirit of the person would kind of linger around for two or three days. But then after three days, it was gone. It was over. And it specifies in Gospel of John, chapter 11, that he was in the tomb four days when Jesus came and raised him. He was dead, dead, dead by that point in that passage. And Jesus was raised again. Jesus is imitating what the Father has done. He is showing us what the Son has done through him. That wasn't Jesus' first resurrection. That's Jesus' second. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. 
for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. He is taking, he's going to take the responsibility for the day-to-day rule of the creation, especially over the human race, but he's going to hand it off to me. That happened upon the event of Jesus' resurrection and ascending into heaven. And in Matthew 28, we find Jesus saying to the apostles, which is called the Great Commission, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, when was it given to him? It was given to him upon the event of his ascension into heaven. As the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Just as they honor the Father. Honor the Son just as you honor the Father. Do you worship the Father? Oh, you bet we worship the Father. That's the whole point of having this temple. interesting in the gospel accounts how many for example the leper that met Jesus Jesus just finished the sermon on the mount this is Matthew 20 the beginning of Matthew 8 Jesus comes down the first encounter he has is with a leper who and Matthew uses this word in making this request is worshiping Jesus if you are willing you can make me clean well the Jewish people understood that only God could cleanse He's asking Jesus to do something he knows only God can do. That is an act of worship. As the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. He has actually passed off to me the right to judge. You are attacking, you are hating, you are purposing the death of the one whom God has appointed to be your judge. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Do you worship the Father? That's what you're doing. Jesus isn't backing down one inch. They got it right. Well, when you say he's your father, you're making yourself out to be equal with God. Yes, that's right. And let me amplify. Let me fill in any blanks you might have in your mind and your heart with those words. Yes, 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 yes to your statement. Yes. For the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son Just as they honor the Father, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And that is exactly what they're doing. They're doing the opposite of honoring him. They purpose to kill him. They purpose to kill him. That's not going to work out well. They will succeed. God will allow them to do it, but then explode their whole operation. Well, I think the the my 
they cannot absorb the more goodness you can endure. So we're going to, uh, with your permission, we will pick up with verse 24 uh, and complete the passage uh, next week. Will you join me for part B? And all God's people said, Amen. All right, well, I'm going to invite you to stand. And